The Bible is an incredible text made up of 66 different books, written by more than 40 authors over a span of a thousand years. It is not just a compilation of a bunch of different stories, or a self-help manual, or even a devotional book. It is one cohesive story from Genesis to Revelation, the story of God's glory. Let's take a look at his story. In the beginning, God created everything for himself and his glory. At the pinnacle of that creation, he made man so that God could share himself with others. We were told to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth with the glory of God. But man decided that God couldn't be trusted, that he was holding something back from us. We decided to live for ourselves instead of for God, and this filled the earth with sin and selfishness. The generations of man had soon gone so far off track, in fact, that God flooded the entire earth and started over with a man named Noah. When Noah stepped off the ark, God told him the same words he had told Adam, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Once again, however, humanity looks to give itself honor instead of God. Because they all shared the same language, it was easy to communicate and cooperate, so they made a plan. At a place called Babel, they would build a tower up to the heavens, and in doing so, make a name for themselves. They labored to build their own kingdom rather than obey God's command. They had made the same mistake as each of the generations before them. Since mankind had ignored his message to spread his name and his glory throughout the earth, God took matters into his own hands. He scrambled the languages of the people so they could no longer communicate easily with each other. In that moment, God had formed the many different tribes and peoples of the world. So the different people groups spread to the north, the south, the east, and the west. Out of those nations, God chose a man named Abraham and made a covenant with him. God told Abraham that he would bless him and all his descendants, turning them into a great nation that would bless all the other nations. God eventually called this nation Israel, and he began to demonstrate his glory through them in many ways. He gave them a set of laws to live by, so that they could live separate and holy lives from all the other nations. In doing so, they would become his royal priests, mediating between God and man. By living out his commands in the sight of the nations, Israel would encourage people to love God and love others. God also gave Israel a special geographical place on the earth, strategically located in the middle of all other nations. It was in this promised land that Israel would be a light to all nations, showing them the path to God even in the darkness of the world. Sometimes Israel would live out this calling well, understanding God's desire to bless all of the peoples of the earth through them. Other times, though, Israel would fall into the same trap that humanity had again and again, glorifying itself rather than glorifying God. When Israel got off track, God intervened. Sometimes he raised up prophets to remind them of their mandate to bless the nations with the blessings he had given them. Other times he would discipline his people by allowing them to be taken captive by other nations. Regardless, God used Israel, even in their disobedience, to make his name great throughout the earth. But all of this was just the beginning of what God had in store. In all of its ups and downs, Israel grew hungry for a promised Messiah king who would establish an everlasting kingdom that would never be defeated. That, of course, leads us to Jesus. God sent his son Jesus to earth for 33 years to dramatically demonstrate the Father's love for both Jew and Gentile alike. Yes, he was from King David's bloodline, but his genealogy had both Jews and Gentiles in it. 
His first worshipers were the wise men, Gentiles from the east. Angels proclaimed that his salvation would be for all peoples. Even his baby dedication identified him as a light for revelation to the Gentiles. Time and time again, Christ reminded his disciples, who considered themselves God's favorite, that God's plan from the beginning was to bless all peoples. His life modeled this message perfectly. He became angry when the temple wasn't being used as a house of prayer for all nations. He told parables about the kingdom of God being a kingdom for all people groups. And he preached good news to Jews, Gentiles, rich, poor, educated, and uneducated alike. Jesus served Canaanites, Samaritans, Romans, and Greeks. He was and is a true Messiah for all nations. He lived a perfect life, died a perfect death, and rose again with a perfect resurrection. Then he commanded us to go make disciples of all nations. The perfect words to sum up his ministry. He told us that this gospel of the kingdom must be proclaimed in all the world as a testimony to all of the ethnic groups, and then the end would come. We saw the beginnings of this when the Holy Spirit filled the disciples at Pentecost and told the wonders of God in all the different languages of the world. We saw it continued when Christ called Paul and other apostles to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. It continues even now. We are waiting for the end that we see in Revelation, when the Lamb of God, Jesus, has purchased with his blood people from every nation. Those people will form a multitude that no one can count from every tribe, tongue, and people group, worshiping and saying, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. That's the story of the Bible, a single cohesive story from cover to cover. God's story, the story of his glory among all the nations. But it can't come to fruition until all nations have heard. He invites you into that story. He invites you into that mission. What part will you play? I did some empirical research this past week to get ready for our sermon, so I went to Google to get my empirical research, because uh, Google is always accurate with everything that they put out there, right? Uh, I asked, uh, because we're doing the series on missions for the next several weeks, how many different religions are there in the world as you and I sit here in this room today? Uh, they came up with a number of 4,300, 4,300 different religions there are in the world as we sit here, which means that people are very interested in worshiping something. Now, uh, I say 4,300, uh, two is way too many, right? If there's more than one way to worship God, that is way too many. And so uh, missions exist because worshipers of the one true God do not exist in every tongue, tribe, and nation. We know that to be a fact, right? Which means that people who were created to worship God but don't know who he is will continue to worship whatever their hearts desire, whatever makes their hearts content. And so they're okay with worshiping their ancestors who make them feel uh, good. They're okay with adding many different gods to themselves. They're okay with worshiping the gods of the seasons, right? They're okay with worshiping many different things, ways to make them rich to bless their own lives. However, the horrific truth about all these different religions is that as people will spend their entire lives worshiping something that is going to lead them to hell, right? Because they do not know who the one true God is. So here at Cedar Crest, our main purpose, and I've added a few lines for our mission statement, a few words for our mission statement, is this, is that our primary
worshippers, right? Now I put them in small worshippers of Jesus Christ throughout the Lehigh Valley and among the nations, especially unreached people groups. So we want to glorify God by making disciples, worshippers of Jesus Christ, not just here, but around the world and across the nations, right? We were created by God to enjoy, to enjoy Him forever and are to enjoy God and to be satisfied in Him. You have to understand God is delighted in being God. He loves to be God. And He loves to be glorified, which is why He created us. God is delighted when we delight in Him. He's passionate about making Himself known. Just look at, at creation. When He created man and um, Adam and Eve, He's made them in His image. And on that day, He said, it is very good that I've created you. He said, it's very good. And on that, He didn't, didn't want us just to be created. He wanted us to be known by Him. So what did He do? At each and every day, He would go and spend time with Adam and Eve because He wanted them to know Him, and He also wanted to show them His splendor, who He was um, and how great He is. Isaiah 43, 7 says, For everyone who is called by My name, whom I created for My, for my glory, whom I formed and made. I'm going to use the word glorify a lot today, okay? Or glorify. So I want to give us a definition for us. Uh, and I'm borrowing it from John Piper. Glorifying means feeling and thinking and acting in ways that reflect his, God's greatness. That make much of God. That gives evidence of the supreme greatness of all his attributes and all the satisfying beauty of his manifold perfections. Glorifying God is worshiping him. Worshiping him is honoring with praise, admiration, to make glorious above all else. God has commanded us to make worshipers across the entire world. However, we know that that does not exist yet today. To show you this point, that we're made to worship God, and that missions exist to tell, tell people about this fact, I want to take us to a text today. John chapter 17. I hope by the time that we're done today, it will help us understand why our lives have been created to glorify God. I also hope, as we look at one of the most, I believe, one of the most intimate prayers between a father and a son could have, between uh, the son, Jesus Christ, praying to his dad, God the Father, that we will learn a lot about today. My hope is to show you that missions exist so that God can be glorified. Let's read the passages together. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give you eternal life to. Here we are. I have seven of these different ones. Seven different ways from this passage, and you might be able to pull out some more of how God is glorified. The number one, God is glorified by keeping his promises. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. The hour has come has been the long-anticipated time, the one that was promised to Abraham that we heard, we heard about last week and we heard about in the video as well, that a descendant was going to come to bless all the nations. Look, it says, And I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you, and make you your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and in him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. What Adam, Noah, Abraham, Joseph, Moses, David, and the like could 
was the descendant that was to be the blessing of all the nations. This hour was not a surprise to Jesus. That it was sprung upon him. You can read in Luke 9, 51, while Jesus was here in, in ministry on earth, said, when the days drew near for him to be taken up, and that means for him to be taken up, to be put up on the cross, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. In John 12, 27, Jesus is speaking. He says, now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice from heaven. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. We also, friends, know that in the mystery of God, that this was preordained before the foundations of the world. You can read in Ephesians chapter 1 right there. Even as he chose us in him before the foundations of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. God is glorified by keeping his promises. Number two, God is glorified by glorifying God. Jesus makes a request to the Father. He says, glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. Remember, glorifying means feeling and thinking and acting in ways that reflect his greatness, that make much of God, that gives evidence of the supreme greatness of all his attributes and all the satisfying beauty of his manifold perfections. God truly delights in being God. One blogger puts it this way. It is a distinct characteristic of the Trinity that they all have a passion for one another's glory. The Spirit exalts the Son, and the Son exalts the Father, and the Father takes pleasure in shining a spotlight on the Son. And here, for the last few chapters of the book of John, the Son has been lauding the divine work of the Spirit. The Son's greatest desires are to magnify the work of the Father, the plan of the Father, the purpose of the Father, the character and attributes of the Father, and the love of the Father, and so on. Likewise, He appeals to His Father's plan here, and that He desires for the Father to glorify Him in order that He will bring glory to His Father. The intensity of desire to magnify one another cannot be missed. This may be the very first time you heard this, but when Jesus was headed to the cross, His primary focus, His ultimate goal, was not for you and me. His primary focus, His ultimate his ultimate goal was to glorify the Father, to glorify God. Which is why, later in the night when he was betrayed, he was able to say, My Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. He was so concerned about glorifying the Father that he was willing to submit going to submit himself, going through all that pain, yes, for our benefit, but truly for the greatness of God. Friends, it was not just the Son who glorified the Father, but the Father also glorifies the Son. You can read this throughout all the scriptures. When you start looking for it, you will see how the Father glorifies the Son. I'm going to read you four different passages here. Matthew 12, 18 says, Behold, my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved with whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him, and he will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. To the Gentiles is to the nations, friends. That's why we're talking about missions. Uh, the next verse, it says, The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Friends, if you reject the Son, you get the Father's wrath. Next verse. All things have been handed 
except the Son, and anyone, anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal to him. And then the final verse. For this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth. The Father has put Jesus Christ above all else. Do you think the Father and the Son love and enjoy each other just a little? Very much so. They love to be God. Number three, God is glorified by the Son having authority over all flesh. Having all authority means to have authority over all humanity. I'm going to give you three different points here. Number one, Christ taught with authority unlike any other man. Matthew 7, 28, it says, And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teachings. For he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. He was not just repeating and rehearsing other things. He was speaking from authority because he was God. Number two, Christ has authority because he judges mankind. In Matthew 7, it says, Matthew 7, 23, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. They didn't do the Father's will. And so Christ has a judgment over them. And number three, Christ has authority to able to forgive sins and heal the sick. And this is uh, this passage comes from when the roof was taken on, uh, was was torn apart so that a paralytic man could be down, let down through, because he understood that Jesus was the way. He said, "Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise up and your bed and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins." He said to the paralytic. I say to you, rise and pick up your bed and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all, so that all were amazed and glorified God, saying, We never saw anything like this. Friends, as Christ exercised his authority that was given to him by the Father, the Father took delight in the Son. Once again, they love God is glorified by the Son giving eternal life to everyone whom the Father has given to Him. To give eternal life to all whom have been given Him. Jesus has all the authority given to Him, and what did He do with His authority? Jesus glorifies the Father by giving eternal life to the ones who were given to Him by Jesus, to Jesus by the Father. John Piper writes this, When Jesus died, He glorified the Father's name and saved his father's people. And since the father has overflown pleasure in the honor of his name, and since he delights with unbounded joy in the election of a sinful people for himself, how then shall he not delight in the bruising of his son, by which these two magnificent divine joys are reconciled and are made one? Eternal life only comes through Jesus Christ. In John uh, 3, verse 15 to 16, it says that whoever pleases and they may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that gave His only Son, that whoever would believe in Him should not perish but have eternal life. God wants you to have eternal life with Him, and so that you can
happy God. I never really hear about God being the happy God. It is good news that God is gloriously happy. No one would want to spend eternity with an unhappy God. If God is unhappy, then the goal of the gospel is not a happy goal. And that means it would not it would be no gospel at all. But in fact, Jesus invites us to spend eternity with a happy God when he says, Enter into the joy of your master. Jesus lived and died that his joy, God's joy, might be in us, and our joy might be full. Therefore, the gospel is the gospel of the glory of the happy God. Who did Jesus give this eternal life to? When Christ was here in ministry here on earth, yes, it was to the Jewish people, right? But he also expanded to the Gentiles. You can read from Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John how he also was spreading his good news to the Gentiles. You find that he spent time with a Samaritan woman who was not fully Jewish, right? The Roman centurion uh, servant who was not Jewish. He intentionally traveled through the Gentile regions. He also ministered in a Samaritan city and brought salvation to that city. How serious was Jesus here on earth about being about every nation being a worshiper of God? Well, he got violent over it. We don't like to think that Jesus ever got violent over something, but he got violent over and so in Mark chapter 11, verses 15 through 18, I'm going to share this story with you. Then they came to Jerusalem, and he entered the temple and began to drive out those who were buying and selling in, in the temple. And overturned, this is Jesus, he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who were, not sell, who were selling doves. And he would not permit anyone to carry merchandise through the temple. And he began to teach and say to them, Is it not written... My house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations. But you have made it a robber's den. The chief priests and the scribes heard this and began seeking how to destroy him. For they were afraid of him. For the whole crowd was astonished at his teaching. They were astonished at his authority. Jesus is so adamant that everyone is allowed to glorify him. That he drove people out who were disrespecting his father's house. His house was supposed to be a place for prayer for all the nations. But what had happened is that the chief priests and the leaders said, it is more important for us to make money in this area. And so they put up coins, they put up tables, they put up uh, birds who were pooping on the floor. And they said that this is more important than allowing other people to glorify God and put it in their way. Could you imagine trying to worship God, right now, if you have all those distractions happening right now. And God said, this is a house of prayer to glorify my Father. I have set it up that the nations can come to my temple to worship God, but yet you have made this a place of robbers and a place for dens. A place of dens. And his righteousness, he got violent. And he would not allow people to continue the way that they were. Which means, friends, as I took this as a challenge for my own self, that as we worship together and we had different people from different nations joining us on Sunday mornings or in the life of our church, are we purposefully thinking of how we can help them enter into glorifying God together? Or are we putting up things in their way as well? Number five, God is glorified when all people know that He is the only true God. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus, whom you have sent. When someone does not know Jesus, they cannot glorify Him. Yes, they can do some pretty cool things and good things 
they must know the one true God. Now, this is not a knowledge ascent. I hope you hear this. This is not a knowledge ascent, but with a Hebrew notion that this encompasses an experience and intimacy with Jesus Christ. And for Christians, it means obedience and love for God, the submission to Him. To deny Jesus is to deny God the Father. Without Christ, access to God is impossible. It is pointless, futile and to try to access God in any other way. All these other religions is futile. There's no other way. John 10 says, this is Jesus speaking, I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay my life down for the sheep. And I have other sheep, you talk about Gentiles, talk about the nations here, that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. You must know the good shepherd's voice if you want to be saved. John 14, 6 says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do not know him and have seen him. Do you see how much God wants you to know his voice and to know the way? He wants you to know these things because there is no reason for God to hide. Hiding brings no glory to God. Remember, God is about, he loves to be God and for his people, his creation, to know him. And he's passionate about people knowing him, who he is. Because when we know him, then we're actually able to be who we truly are created to be. Jesus glorified the Father by fulfilling the entire law, fulfilling every prophecy that was told about him. Yes, his ultimate purpose on earth was to glorify God, but we cannot forget that he also came to save us, right? And Jesus invites us to spend eternity with him. Jesus fulfilled the Abrahamic covenant by dying on the cross. For this reason, he says, the Father loves me because I laid down my life. He is the blessing to all nations. This is why Christ was upset when the this, um, chief priests were not allowing the Gentiles to pray in the temple. This is why Christ was upset when the disciples tried to push away the little children. And he said, let the little children come unto me. This is why he was upset with the religious leaders and said, you are a brood of vipers. You look good on the outside, but you're rotting on the inside. Jesus restored our relationship with the Father by taking the full wrath of the Father and satisfying the holy anger of the Father. Only for Jesus is being betrayed actually brings him glory. Only for Jesus is getting spit on is actually not demeaning. Only for Jesus being abandoned, beaten, ridiculed, pierced, rejected, being mocked, does not bring shame but honor. Only for Jesus being nailed to the cross next to sinners, not a place of shame but honor. Only for Jesus is taking sins of the world glorified only for Jesus. Jesus glorified the Father by saying, it is finished. First Peter 2 tells us, he committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to the one who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of our souls. Jesus bore the weight of the sins of the world. He has taken the full wrath of God. 
Himself. We have been forgiven because of the glory of Christ. We are brought back into intimate fellowship with God because of the glory of Christ. We are set free because of the glory of Christ. We are pardoned, counted as righteousness because of the glory of Christ. We are delivered and triumphant in Christ because of His glory. Friends, this is probably the one thing that blew me away the most with all the glory of the God, how God loves the Father, how God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit love each other. We are now seen as the Father's children. How the Father, how the Father adores His Son, so now He adores you. You get that. Father adores you because you are his sons and daughters. He created you so that you would know him. He created you so that you would live for him. And when you glorify him and are delighted in him, that's who you are created to be. There is an inexpressible joy when you obey him and you find ways that just in the everyday life through the scriptures, through nature, through your friendship, to say, this is who Jesus is. This is who God is. I'm finding delight in Him. And that's worship. Worship is so much more grander than coming here on a Sunday morning. But all who did receive Him, who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. This is a very sobering passage if you think of yourself too greatness, kind of great about yourself, why Jesus would accept you. But consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is law and despised it in the world, even things that are not to bring to nothing things that are. So that no human being might boast in the presence of God because of him. You are in Christ Jesus, who became, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption. So that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. And so when you boast, you're boasting in the Lord and giving Him all the glory. When you boast and say, I am satisfied, my soul is at peace, you're boasting in the Lord and giving Him the glory. Number seven, God is glorified when worshipers of Jesus go and tell the nations about Him. We're doing missions series I said there's over 40, there's 43, potentially 4,300 different religions in the world. Not every nation, tongue, and tribe is glorifying Jesus. And that's right now, right? And so we have a commission that God has given to us and is still in place today. In Matthew 28:18, it says, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples worshipers of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Do you think it's important for people around the entire world 
worshiping God? I'll help say yes. If you're a seat of press, remember that's one of the, our primary goals here. Is to make sure that people are around the world, especially the unreached people groups, are knowing who God is. That there's only one true God and how they were created to be. Now, this also means for us in our family relationships, in our work relationships, uh, across all over the place. Who should be worshipers? All the nations are to be worshipers. Remember, at one point, your nation, your people group, did not know who Jesus was. Take that in a humble, humbleness. That at some point, somebody said, I'm going to go to this unreached people group. And that was your people group. So that you, yourself, today, could be sitting here and know who God is. So that you, in your hearts, could be worshiping Him. You see, who should we should be glorifying? Jesus said it specifically. When we go and make disciples, it says, do this in in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. I hope you can see after today's message, when you read scriptures, how much God wants to be glorified. Again and again and again, He wants to be glorified. And yes, we do benefit it, but scripture was not written so that he, just for you. It was written for God's glory, for Himself. And we need to be teaching people to be worshipers of God so that they can also teach others to glorify God as well. Friends, just by no mistake that you are here and you are going to worship God in song in just a moment. I pray that you in your heart make a decision today that you will either be a goer, a goer where you're willing to say, send me, Lord, to wherever you may direct me, that you just start praying that, but that you are a sender. I don't see there's any in-betweens here of just being passive, about being a goer or a sender. Because the glory of God, there is no in-betweens. And so uh, if we're a goer or a sender of sending missionaries or uh, supporting missionaries, that means that we are helping people and designing for people to understand how that they were originally designed to be. When God created them, when God created us, he wants us to grow up to be able to worship Him. And so, friends, there are specific times in our lives where we have to set aside finances or set aside time in our, in our lives and say, I am going to purposely set this goal so that some person who's not here, who's thinking that how they are worshiping is actually worshiping God, which is only going to send them to hell, he said, I want to be able to make a difference here. Either you're just going to start praying that and being a sender. Or as I've heard, God is already working in some of your lives and saying, Lord, are you sending me right now? Which is really exciting. I pray that this is not any type of guilt trip that you hear, but that this is just us trying to glorify God and saying, let's make his name great among the nations. If we get a piece of that here at Cedar Crest, and to God,